Uh, we're, today we're going to begin a series, sorry been mentioned by Jonathan this morning, a uh, seven-week series on Jesus like no other. Now, the motivation for this uh, series has really come about through some things that I've noticed over the years, and it's kind of kind of coming to a head, and it's really that idea that Jesus, the most popular and most known character probably in all the world, is probably the most misunderstood. And so there's those who are out there who basically have created a Jesus they desire in their own minds. You can see that in most places. Others who have reduced him down to a mere good man or a good, great teacher who lived 2,000 years ago. Some have intentionally diminished who he truly is for their own desire to live as they wish while several have a hatred at the mention of his name. And there's been many attempts, and during this service, what I want to do during this uh, series uh, as we move forward over these next seven weeks is I want to bring the Jesus that we know in the Bible, I want to introduce him to you in a way that the world is not seeing him, in a way, a different way than the way he's being misunderstood throughout the world. And to do this, I'm going to actually start at his birth, and we're going to go to his second coming. So that's the goal over these next seven weeks. So today, we're going to be looking at his miraculous birth. Now, let me just say this. This is normally a Christmas theme. I get it, okay? But to fully understand who Jesus is, we got to start at his birth. And there's such important information there that we need to draw from. So I want to ask you to turn in your Bible to two places, Matthew chapter 1 and John chapter 1. Now, again, we normally talk about these theme or this theme around Christmas. But what I want to do is set the tone that even his first visible appearing, God in flesh, at the very beginning, we see that Jesus was like no other. And it really all stems around his miraculous birth. So look at the introduction there. Why is the virgin birth so important? A, a second, a, a next question we're going to be looking at. Does the virgin birth really matter? And then why was it so important that Jesus be born of a virgin? And why did Jesus have to become a man? You see, there's so much debate surrounding even his first coming. There's those who are out there who, who, who will say that, you know, this is not real. We're reading a, a fantasy. We're le reading something. There's, there's been uh, great ideas about what could have happened in that first part there with Mary and Joseph. There's all these different things. But the thing that we can't deny is that the Bible has been very consistent as to who Jesus is. You go back to the Old Testament. It, it foretells who he, how he would come in the, in the first coming. It also talks about the second coming. You come to the Gospels, it's reported about his coming, while the rest of the New Testament gives us the results of his coming. And so we begin to see as we look into Jesus and see what he's all about, the very beginning, the very beginning is very important for us to understand that we not misunderstand. And so in Matthew and Luke, it gives a detailed account of his coming, while John tells us of his pre-existence, the idea that Jesus was here or was around before Bethlehem. But so many people, again, misunderstand. 
But the thing that we must take note of about Jesus, if you were to say anything about him when it comes to his birth, here's one thing we have to look at. Jesus left heaven to come to earth. He wasn't born here, and that was the only thing that was about him. That was not his beginning. He predated his own birth. The question we must ask ourselves, or the things that we must look at this morning is, why Jesus come, came gives us the answer as how Jesus came. And it all surrounds this miraculous birth. So the key to understanding how he came is to understand why he came. And so when you say, okay, how did he come? Okay, I've heard of virgin birth. I've heard Joseph and Mary. I've heard of the story of the manger and the stable and all that. Well, that's really secondary when you think about the whole idea as to why he came. The Bible tells us, John 3, 16, we know this one. For God so loved the world that he sent, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. We know that one, right? That tells us the why he came. But then you look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, and it says this. But Jesus was made a little lower than the angels. That literally means the idea that he left heaven. In Philippians 2, we find out he emptied himself of something. We're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. And the fact he came from heaven, he came to earth. And in that whole realm, he became a little lower than the angels. From the suffering of death crowned him with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. And again, we see so many verses in scripture that tells us how, not only how he came, but more importantly, why he came. Now, the first thing I want us to look at this morning, if you're looking on the outline, is the idea that the virgin birth and how it's conceived. All through the scriptures, we read, think about it, of supernatural births. How many of you could name one right now? Yeah, we we could look at several. Isaac was born of a woman in her mid-90s. Any of y'all like to try to pull that off? Think about that. Samson was born of a woman who was barren. Hannah, the same thing with Samuel. Elizabeth, a barren woman, gave birth to one of the greatest men Jesus said that ever lived, John the Baptist. All these were supernatural births. And as we see these miraculous births, and we see that they're not strange to the Bible, we see that Jesus' birth, however, was like no other. It was like no other. In Luke chapter 1, we read that the angel appeared before Mary and told her she would give birth to the Son of God. Now think about what that would mean to her. Do you think she fully understood the impact of that? If she did, don't you think there was a lot of pressure now being placed on her? She's going to give birth to the Son of God, but it won't be like any other. Her response was that she was a virgin, and she'd never been with a man. And in Matthew chapter 1, look at verse 18, we read this. Now, the birth of Jesus was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Notice the phrase, before they had come together. There's been many who have speculated what all that means, and and, and some have created stories. If you go back to some of the early writings of the Jewish uh, history and start talking about, in the second century, the, the Talmud that the Jewish writers wrote, 
They created a story in which Mary uh, was with a Roman dignitary there, and actually that was the father of Jesus. There's been many accounts that have been out there all the way, all the way to the second century. Meaning while Mary, here's what this means. If it's a truly a virgin birth, it means that Mary, the physical mother of Jesus, it may also means that Jesus was not the physical, uh, Joseph was not the physical father of Jesus. A true miracle had certainly taken place. And so Jesus would conceive, look on your outline, not by Joseph, but by the Holy Spirit. Nowhere in scripture has there ever been a birth like this. But yet it was prophesied 600 years earlier that it would happen. Look at the verse, Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. You see, we read this verse so many times and we forget this part of the verse, a sign. You know what uh, literally the idea of a sign in scripture literally means? It means pledge. It means confirmation by way of a miracle. It's intentionally seen. So when you see the idea of signs and wonders in Scripture, and you see the idea of a sign that this birth will be a sign, it'll be a confirmation, a pledge that is given by way of miracle. That's what the virgin birth was. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And of course, we know what that means, God with us. So our salvation, and this is something that you need to understand, our salvation, the reason we're beginning with the story of Jesus' birth is because of this. Our salvation depends on it. It depends on it. So, so someone's rightly said this. If Jesus was born simply of human parents, there's no way to describe his supernatural life. His virgin birth, his substitutionary death, his bodily resurrection, and his second coming are a package of his deity. You cannot isolate these truths, accepting only one and leaving the rest. They all come together to create the picture of who Jesus is. And it's so necessary that they be held there because our salvation does depend upon it. Next, the virgin birth challenged the virgin birth challenge. Now, I don't know about you, but one thing I like about God's word, I love this about it. It just states it. It doesn't give you this long idea about how it comes about. It just says it. Think about some of the things the Bible says. In the beginning, what? God created. Don't you love that? It just puts it out there. And the sea parted. How about this? Behold, the virgin shall be with child. All these things are things that are right there before us. And the Bible just puts it right out there. But let me say this. These very things have also been greatly challenged. First of all, when it came to the virgin birth, Joseph himself challenged it. The first challenges came by Joseph. In Matthew chapter 1, if you look at verse 19, it says, And Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. He said this after, she found, after he found out she was with child. He was the first to challenge the virgin birth. Now think about this. He hears that she's with child. 
He hears all the story. And, and he must have, his mind must have raced at that point about what could have happened. What's going on here? Well, Mary, he probably at first didn't believe it. You see, the Bible basically tells us through the, through the laws that there were three options concerning Mary. He could have had her publicly stoned. He could have broke off the engagement. He, or he could stay with her. And you know what the Bible says he did? He stayed with her. Now, it might have come by the way of an angel convincing him, but he stayed with her, which means there's proof that there was something to the story. Next is challenged by science. If, if, you look at, if you look at this whole story, science would laugh at this story. Science says you base everything on empirical evidence. That, that means everything that can be seen, touched, saw, or heard, whatever. It's all empirical. It's all got to be right there. Okay? And so science would immediately challenge this. It was not only challenged by scientists. The virgin birth is challenged by the cults. The cults. The Jehovah Witnesses would tend to deny the virgin birth since Jesus was no, really no different than any other prophet in Scripture. The Mormon church would also tend to deny the virgin birth since Jesus is no different than what we ourselves are capable of becoming. In one of their journals, the, the Mormon church's scholarly journal, it says this, the birth of the Savior was as natural as the births of our children. It was a re result of natural action. So, so really, when you think about it, what, what the Mormon church is saying, and Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, these who are well-known prophets in the Mormon faith, they would basically say that Jesus was just like any other at birth. He grew to be a man, and then God adopted him later to become whatever they believe he is, a great prophet, great teacher. And so we see that it's been challenged by so many, but this may astonish you. The virgin birth has been challenged by the church itself. The church. How many of you say, what? Yeah, the church. In a, re in a survey published by Christianity Today, it was determined that the virgin birth is denied, now this is what we read, by 65% of Methodists. Two out of three. 49% of Presbyterians. 44% of Episcopalians. And if that doesn't challenge you, 34% of Baptists, one in three. Someone said this, if Jesus was not born of a virgin, then the Bible cannot be trusted when it comes to telling us the story of Jesus. And that mistrust could, cannot be limited to how he came to us in the terms of incarnation. The fact is that biblical Christianity and ultimately the gospel of Christ cannot survive the denial of the virgin birth because without the virgin birth you end up with a very different Jesus than the fully human fully divine savior who is revealed in the Bible you see the virgin birth if you don't bring that to the table everything changes everything changes he is the son of God in Matthew chapter 1 verse 20 it says this but while he Joseph thought about these things, when he was pondering what to do with the situation, when he was wondering why his Mary done, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, 
Do not be afraid to take to you Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So we see Joseph. How, how did Joseph come to terms with it, it now being a virgin birth? By way of the angel. It was revealed to him, just like it's revealed to us. Revealed to us. Next, the virgin birth concluded. Through the virgin birth, think about this. God became a man. How many of you still, you've heard it all your life, but it's still hard to get your mind around it. God became a man. Therefore, Jesus, thinking about this, which we really want to look at, became the God-man. And there's things that we must conclude about this when it comes to our salvation. First of all, Jesus must be man. Why? Matthew 1, verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. God is dictating the fact that there needs to be a provision made for sin. And he's basically saying, this will come by way of my son. Next, Jesus must be God. In John 1, if you'll flip over there, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. It literally means you can't separate one from the other. And then it goes further, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It lived before us. He lived before us. Meaning that Jesus, as I said before, predates Bethlehem. He came to us because of our great need. And what was the great need? We needed a Savior. Which brings us to the question, why did God have to become a man? Have you ever thought about that? Could God just have saved us from our sins? God can do anything, right? But there was a reason. There was something he was after. When you go back to the Garden of Eden, and we've been studying this on Wednesday nights. When you go back to the Garden of Eden, what you'll find there is that there had to be a choice whether they would stay with God or not. There had to be the choice that was displayed in front of them, and it was found in the tree of good and evil. And that's represented, would they choose God and his commandments and be obedient to him, which would bring about the love relationship God desire, or would they choose something other than him? Now, we know how the story broke down, don't we? Eve listened to his wife, right? No, okay, let's back up there. But think about that. They fail. They fail in such a way. As a result, listen, the love of God didn't just stop right there. The love of God, even by the time you get to Genesis chapter 3, when the story plays out of them falling, there's the promise of one who would come to set it all right, to die for the sins of the world, for us, that we who are sinners could be saved from our sin. And you see, that's the story. So, so why did God say he had to become a man? Well, here, we can speculate, but here's some ideas. Since it was a man that sinned, it must be a man that pays for the penalty of sin. And the penalty of sin involves the suffering of body and soul. Do we see that on the cross? Absolutely. Therefore, only a man appears to be qualified to bear for the suffering for sin. It seems to be an essential element. Another thought, we could not fulfill the law of God ourselves. How many of you agree with that? We, we're a failure almost every point, aren't we? 
And yet the Bible says Jesus came as one who was, not, who was like us, but not like us, because he was the God-man who came and fulfilled it perfectly according to Scripture. So therefore, Jesus, the God-man, became the mediator. And so now, that's why he was, had to be man. Some people speculate, well, then why did Jesus have to be deity? Why, why couldn't? Well, first of all, do you think any of us could pull off keeping the law perfectly? What does God demand? Perfect sacrifice, right? And so therefore, here's where his deity comes, deity comes in. To save us from our sin, Christ had to undergo the wrath of God on, his, on our behalf. Many believe it's a fate that only deity could endure. If Jesus had merely been a sinless man and not deity, he could have really, if you think about it, could have only died in the place of just one sinner himself. It would have been his own doing. And then some have said it was a, sac a sacrifice of infinite value requires a person of infinite value. Does Jesus meet that? Absolutely. Therefore, a mediator between God and man appears to must be God himself and also man. So if Jesus Christ was to save us, he had to be God and man at the same time. Therefore, the virgin birth, Mary giving him his humanity, the Holy Spirit, his deity, is essential and necessary again for our salvation. It's necessary. It's a must. Next, the virgin birth considered the first thing we see there is that Jesus is the predicted one. If you go back to the Old Testament, you're going to find all these ideas about who the Messiah would be. And, and there's, there's, there's some that point to his first coming, and some of those prophecies point to a second coming. But many do talk about that first coming. And, and basically, Jesus coming the way he did really connects the old covenant to the new covenant. Now, what are the covenants all about? It's a covenant is literally God making promises and pledges to the people. And basically, when it comes to a covenant in Scripture, there's, things called, there's something called an unconditional covenant, which means God's going to do it. We can trust him for, in his promises. How many of you are grateful for those kinds of covenants where he says, I'm going to do this on your behalf? And then there are conditional covenants in Scripture. It's the language of if you do this, then I will do that. And this appears to be one of those times in which Jesus, the promised one, is coming. That's unconditional. That was the plan of God. But the conditional part is if we receive him as he is. That's the condition. If we, then he will save us. So therefore, we see this. Now, Mary, excuse me, Matthew, writing to a Jewish audience, many times uses the phrase that it might be fulfilled. If you do a study of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, you're going to find out this, this is repeated over and over again, that it may be fulfilled, that it might be fulfilled. What Matthew is doing is taking all the Old Testament prophecies of who the Messiah was supposed to be and show you how Jesus meets that criteria, shows you how Jesus is the one who was predicted. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. 
God with us. So the phrase, think about the phrase, God with us. What, what comes to your mind when you think of the phrase, God with us? What comes to your mind? God with us. Was that just for the first century people who were fortunate enough to be around him those 33 years? Yeah, it means a lot to them, I'm sure. Can, can you imagine seeing Jesus walking the face of this earth? That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? But not only that, what Jesus came to do was set up the whole idea that deity could dwell with us, within us even as we live here. So when Jesus comes, he's not just bringing the love of the Father and the forgiveness of sin. He's bringing himself. And then when he says, when I leave, what's he going to do? He's going to send another. Another. Who is the equivalent of God the Father and God the Son. And so therefore, what does it mean? Well, let's look back at Jesus and look at what it means. That the creator became a part of the creation. How many of you that just blows your mind? That the artist can put themselves in the painting, basically. That the one who dries all our tears, what did he once do? He wept. Think about that. That the one who gives rest to our souls, he got tired. Boy, that, that's amazing when you think about it. That the one who gives us living water got thirsty. That the one who, who gives us the bread of life got hungry. That the one who is the Alpha and Omega, the one who was and is eternal, lived 33 years as a God-man. That's amazing when you think about it. John 1 again, verse 1. In the beginning was what? The Word. Think about that. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Verse 14, look at the connection. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory of God, listen, was displayed through Jesus. Again, does that not blow your mind? The glory as the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. Jesus left the glories of heaven, wrapped himself in flesh, that this dark world could see light again. That our salvation could come about. Next, the virgin birth constructed. It's constructed. How, how did it all come about? First of all, by obedience. By obedience. In verse 19 in Matthew chapter 1, we read that Joseph, according to Scripture, was a just man, an upright man. Now think about that. Would you want heaven to call you that? That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? I saw something. There's some, I'm going to invest in you. There's something here. In the backdrop, listen, of gossip and shame, Joseph chose to obey the Father. When he didn't understand, when it didn't make sense, he chose to trust God the Father. Now, did it help that an angel showed up and told him? I'm sure it did. How many of you wish that would happen sometime? No, you don't. You'd be terrified. <laughs> But the point is, he did. So in Matthew 1, 24, listen to this. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He, took him. he took to him his wife and did not know her, didn't have intimate relationship with her, till she brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. He not only 
chose to endure the guilt and shame that could have been displaced when people were looking on who didn't understand. He went in there and, and, and let God call all the shots. God, this is you. You're allowing me to be a part of this. That's really what you're reading here. And Mary's going to say the same thing. So first of all, how does all this come about? It comes about by obedience and then next by humility. Listen to what Mary says in Luke 1. Look here on the screen. And Mary said, after all this is said and done, she's come to terms with what the angel have said. She said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly, the humble state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. Just the way she writes this song, does it kind of give you an indication why God may have chosen her? The beauty of her heart is displayed in that song. And she's there and she's saying, it magnifies the Lord. So we see not only obedience, we not only see humbleness, but thirdly, we see it's constructed by faith, by faith. Joseph and Mary became a part of God's plan by reaching out with their faith. You may say, well, what's the parallel you're trying to draw here? That the same way that they came to be a part of the plan of God is the same way we come, we come to be a part of the plan of his salvation. How is that? Obedience. How is that? Humility. How is that? By faith. By faith. And we see it in Luke 138. Look here on the screen. Then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. She said, let it be, God. Include me in your plan. Matthew chapter 1, verse 24. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. And then this. The same way Joseph and Mary reached out to God in his plan is the same way we reach out to him, as I said before. How? By obedience, by humility, and also by faith. I've shared this with you before, but I think it's very, very appropriate here to help us understand the importance of the virgin birth. But a, a skeptic who denied the virgin birth once asked a Christian, if I told you that child over there was born from a virgin, would you believe me? The believer replied, now I'm not that quick. I'm amazed at what he came up with. But listen to this. Yes, if that child lived a sinless life as Jesus. Does that not make the connection for you? The virgin birth. The greatest evidence that Jesus was virgin born, that it was a miraculous birth, was the fact that he lived a sinless life. The greatest evidence that Jesus lived a sinless life was his virgin birth. He was the God-man who came to die for our sins and give us the assurance of a relationship with God. So here's the application. Does a virgin birth really matter? Can, can I ask you, have I convinced you how important it is? It matters, y'all. It matters. Your salvation depends on it. Jesus came for your benefit the way he came. So here's the question. How will you respond to his coming? How do you respond? Well, you respond to why he came. He came to save us from our sins. Right out of the gate, before he even showed up, it was told why he was coming to save us 
from our sins. I want to ask you if you wouldn't mind bow your heads and just be seated there where you are for just a moment. I just want to ask you a simple question this morning. I'd like to ask you, now that you know why he came, and for some of you, you've known why he came all your life or a, lo- a large portion of your life. I want to know this question, the answer to this question by raise of hand. How many of you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that he came to die for your sin? Would your heads bow and your eyes close? Would you raise your hand? That is a testimony of God's grace and his work in your life. Thank you. But maybe there's someone here this morning who's never received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They've, they've never come to terms with how he came, not only how he came, but why he came, which is really is important. Why he came. He came to save you from your sin. He came to give you a fresh start. The Bible says, uh, be converted and repent that your sins may be blotted out. They're no longer held against you because of the sacrifice of a Savior. So here's the question. Here's the real need in this room right now. If you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior, you've never repented of your sins, and by obedience and humility and faith come to Him, you need to. This is what that story is all about, that you can be saved from your sin. Father, right now, Lord, as we look to you, Lord, I thank you that your son came to die on our behalf. And Father, I thank you that as an eight-year-old boy, I gave my life to you. And, And Lord, there's been times I've let you down, but Lord, you've never let me down. Father, I pray for those in this room. I thank you for the testimony of hands that we saw here just a moment ago of those who have received you as their Savior. Father, if there's someone here today that has never made that commitment, has never followed through by obedience and humility and by faith to receive you, Father, they've never repented of their sins. They've never turned away and turned to you. Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would just bring them to that point of conviction today. Have your way in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, don't walk out of this room today without talking to myself or a pastor. We'd love to talk with you about what this could truly mean just for you, what Jesus did. We thank you. Father, thank you for your obedience to follow your Father. Help us to obediently follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us as we sing?